Detectives say the 32-year-old cold case was cracked with the help from a deck of cards. On each card, a different cold case, whether it be a wanted person, a missing person, or an unsolved murder. Well, investigators say a prison inmate saw the victim's face on one of the cold case playing cards and then tipped investigators off. The Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department had the cards made up at the suggestion of a former cold case detective. I'm Tommy Ray. Cold case card program I started here in Polk County has since grown across the U.S. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the House. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer Dubasak. And I'm Lori Jennings. And today we're exploring the Christy Luna case. She is an eight-year-old little girl that was missing out of Green Acres, Florida. Since 1984. So it's been over 35 years now since she's been missing. I know that when we saw this card and we talked about doing this as moms, this really hit home to us. It sure did. I think with Jenny, Christy's mom, after all these years and still not having answers, the fact that her friends are willing to meet with us, it just helps her heartache just a little bit that people are still willing to do something to try and find her daughter. I think one thing we want you guys to know about is we actually got to go to Green Acres, Florida, and um, we got to talk to our friends. I think it was also important, too, that we actually got to talk to law enforcement on this investigation. It's not just about Christy Luna being missing. It's kind of about this community and the way that, you know, it used to be in the 80s and the shocking details that come out about the little town of Green Acres kind of the secrets that it held, which, you know, to me, some of the information that rolled out was really shocking. So we're so glad that you guys are joining us. And we just pray that somebody can bring something to the table that will change the outcome of this for her family. We have an amazing update on this case just as we were working on this episode. So be sure to stay tuned until the end. You know, all together, our goal is to lay out the timeline and pertinent details that may jog someone's memory and obviously, we would love to see the day where there are no faces to put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue working with Tommy Ray and telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. It's time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. This is episode two, the Christy Luna case, four of spades, Florida deck. In this episode of dealing justice, you'll discover why Green Acres was not the place to be for one Florida family. Green Acres, Florida. It's a far cry from the farm living that the name suggests. Green Acres was a small but growing city in Palm Beach County. In the 80s, Green Acres was a working-class bedroom community that was generally considered the awkward stepsister to the glamorous neighboring city of Wellington, Florida. If you're a child of the 80s, everything about Christy Luna's picture brings back memories. Christy's short brown hair is parted down the middle and feathered back on both sides. 
She's wearing a blue shirt that ruffles up the neck and is neatly tied with a ribbon in the middle. Her tempered smile indicates she was doing exactly what the photographer told her to do. Smile pretty, Christy. This would look like any other grade school picture from 1984 if it wasn't for the caption on her cold case playing card that reads, Missing Child. Christy's third grade picture reflects back at us from the Four of Spades, and below her picture are the last details known of Marjorie Christie Luna's short life. It reads, Marjorie Christie Luna, eight-year-old white female. The victim was last seen walking towards a neighborhood general store in Greenacre City, Florida. She was last seen wearing a turquoise bodysuit. She may also be known as Christy. Eight-year-old Christy Luna was last seen in Greenacres when she was eight years old. And now deputies think someone out there knows something about what happened to her. It was 1984. Ronald Reagan was president. America is back, standing tall, looking to the 80s with courage, confidence, and hope. The number one song in May of 1984 was Let's Hear It For The Boy from Denise Williams. Top movie was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And that movie ticket would set you back $2.50. Gas was $1.10 a gallon and everyone was asking, Where's the beef? Helicopter parenting was not even on the runway and latchkey kids were the norm. As a child of the 80s, you spent your days outside riding your banana seat bike with your neighborhood friends, and as long as you were home when the streetlights came on, you were in the clear. And in the summer of 1984, Christy Luna's household was no different. Jenny Johnson grew up in Greenacres, Florida, and she was happy to raise her two daughters, 10-year-old Allison and 8-year-old Christy, in the same neighborhood. And this was such a close-knit neighborhood then. You know, kids, there was no internet. There was no cable TV. You rode your bikes around the block. You had friends you went and played with. You weren't in the house on your internet. Cartoons were on Saturdays only. Green Acres was small and even smaller when you're an eight-year-old kid whose whole life revolves around six square blocks that include your elementary school, a neighborhood general store, a ballpark, a playground, and your entire squad. Christie's childhood best friend, Jennifer Sampson, recalls their childhood as she remembers it. She was my best friend, and my older sister, Delilah, was best friends with Allison, which was Christie's older sister. So it was the four of us, and then my parents are Sharon and Kenny. They were best friends with Jenny and Larry, which are Chris, was Christie's mom and stepdad at the time. But the eight of us were very, very bonded and saw each other every day. and We lived a couple streets over from each other. And it was always Christy and Jennifer. We did so many things repetitiously. Like we went to the playground so many times. They went to the ball field so many times. So like, I remember, you know, we would walk to Belkin's General Store and we would always buy lemon heads. That was like a huge thing. And we were always barefoot. We were always outside all the time. Jennifer describes Christy as only a childhood best friend could. And she shares one of her favorite stories of Christy, and gives us a glimpse of her little twisted sense of humor. She offered me some candy, and I remember the tree, and it was in front of her house, and I remember the exact tree, and I remember, you know, a lot of details about the day. And I was really excited, and I ate some of the candy, and she said, that wasn't candy, that, that was rat poison. You're going to die. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, and I'm like clutching my stomach. It was so traumatizing. It felt like hours, but I think she ended up cracking up, falling down laughing. And she says, it was just candy. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
I know, but like, I feel like as kids were like so brutal to each other. And, and I know it sounds like a little evil, like, oh my God, I found you rat poison. But it was just like, it's a way to like, she was just a feisty, spirited, fun kid. Christy's mom agrees her daughter had a unique sense of humor that everyone found endearing. Very bubbly. Just everybody loved her. She had so many friends. I would meet the parents, a lot of the parents through her. One time she came home and a few minutes later, these little kids come with their mom. And I opened the door and they, I said, can I help you? And she said, we're here for Christy's birthday. I'm like, it's not Christy's birthday. Well, she told us she had to get home and blow out her candles. So they come bearing gifts. And I'm like, Christy, she comes out of the bedroom. I said, did you tell them it was your birthday? And she like puts her head down. Did <laughs> she go walks up and taking the gifts? I said, no, you can't take those gifts. It's not your birthday. <laughs> she was a little stinker. Huh? <laughs> she had a vivid imagination. She wanted to be a cheerleader for the Miami Dolphins. Jenny Johnson clearly enjoys walking down memory lane when her world seems so much brighter. Although in reality, things were a little more tarnished than her memory recalls. Jenny was a single mom, and their home life was far from perfect, but the connection between mother and child runs deep. And as Jenny shares, it may run deep enough to warn our hearts of the sorrow that tomorrow brings. Even when I went in the bathroom, she followed me in, like my little puppy dog. And I'm sitting there the day before she disappeared. I'm sitting there, and as she walks in, I look up at her, and I see her as an angel. I see her with wings. And I shook my head, wiped my eyes, and I looked back. She had her pom-poms, you know, doing her little show me, her little cheerleader right. cheer. But Aww. it was like a premonition, and I didn't go on it because I didn't know what to think. <sighs> just, <sighs> and she looked just like me. She was like my little clone. Christy was not only her mother's little clone, she also loved spending time with her family. One night she tried to spend the night across the street with her best friend. And bedtime came, she called me, Mom, don't you think my bed needs me? I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Christy was a brave, fun, mischievous little girl who liked to play jokes and keep everyone on their toes. But she was still just an eight-year-old little girl who wanted to be home in her own bed in Green Acres, Florida, which sounded like a nice, safe community. Now, Jen and I are based out of Orlando. So when we had the opportunity to meet with Christy's childhood friends in person, we drove the 180 miles south to chat with them and actually see Green Acres for ourselves. We are completely unfamiliar with this part of Florida. So we just kind of wanted to come down here and see what the setup was and where the park is at and where our house was at. Okay, we're here because there's the sign that says, welcome to Green Acres. When we meet with the family and friends of a victim, we never know how we'll be received. Sometimes our questions bring up painful reminders that weigh heavy on their still healing wounds, and it takes time to earn their trust. And other times, the connection is instant. Like with Christie's childhood friends, Jennifer Robb and Brenda Parishi. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, very nice to meet you. Had a busy morning already, huh? Yeah. Brenda shares what life was like growing up here in Green Acres, Florida. 
this is the ball field. A lot of people hung out here at the ball field. It was a safe place. We all ran around together. We all rode our bikes together. There was a lot of kids in the neighborhood. Kids ran around with kids. I mean, if one, if there was one, there was two. If there was two, there was four. If there was four, there was ten of us. Always congregating together. We were all always playing. <laughs> but it was so much it was fun, fun, right? It was fun. It, it, was, we fun. Did. it yeah. was careless fun. It yeah. was careless fun. For these close friends, Green Acres really did seem like the place to be in 1984. At the time, they felt safe and protected. Nobody was rich and nobody had a squeaky clean nuclear family. So that made everything within their small bubble feel normal. But their bubble was about to burst. Brenda recalls the warning signs. There was an incident that took place back in 1980, I'm going to say 1983. Before Christy even went missing. Before Christy went missing. And that's when Jennifer and I became really good friends. And one day we were at the park and while we were there, we were playing on the swings and we think there was a couple other kids with us, but we can't really remember who they were at the time. We are still trying to figure all that out. And we were swinging on the swings and a gentleman came over to the fence line. He says to us, did anybody lose any change in the bathroom? Because there was money in the bathroom. You know, we were little kids, and and even though our our parents taught us about stranger danger, you think money, and you're going to be able to go in and scoop it up. You're going to go to the store, and you're going to buy nickel bubble gum and jawbreakers and, you know, whatever else. And he said that he was going to use the restroom when he was done, and we could go in there and collect it. And then several minutes went by, so we knocked on the door, and we said, Hey, mister, are you in there? And he never responded. So Jennifer and I got down on the ground on our knees so we could see inside the grate. We saw him in there and he's not answering us and he's got his pants down around his neck and he was completely exposed from the waist down. He was completely exposed, standing there waiting. And I could see all this change scattered all over the floor. Like he took his hand in his pocket and he just threw the change everywhere. And we knocked and we knocked and we knew that he was in there, but he wasn't saying anything to us. So, and I only lived a couple blocks away. So it only took me five minutes to get on my bicycle and ride home really quick. And we we told my mom and um, my mom called the police department and they wanted us to go over there and identify him. So we loaded up in the car and we drove back over to the park. And when we got to the park, the police had had him out of the bathroom at the picnic tables under the pavilion, sitting down. And my mom was extremely upset. They wouldn't let my mom get out of the car. They were very like, no, you're too upset. You need to just stay put. So they let me get out of the car and they asked me to identify the guy. And when he turned around and looked at me and I said, yes, that's him. They never made a report. They never took his name. They said that he gave a name, but the name was not real. They said that he didn't live there, that he lived somewhere else, that he was unemployed, and that he rode the bus there. Perhaps if they had identified the man that day, and if a report had been made from Brenda's incident, Christy would be here today. But we will never know. Tommy Ray tells us that investigating sex crimes and tracking pedophiles was done very differently in the 80s. You know, back 35 years ago, you didn't have the monitoring 
of these pedophiles now database to check out pedophiles, you know, the ankle bracelets, uh, you know, where they were electronically monitored. Today you can get information back in seconds. You know, back then, unless you knew where the guy was coming from and you called that agency if he was out of state or whatever, it wasn't like, you know, you just uh, type something on email and get immediate response. You know, so sometimes if the guy would have been checked out and there's no warrants on him and you really didn't have anything, you had no choice but to let him go. In 1984, in Green Acres, just in this tiny little municipality that's probably five square miles of space, there were over 78 known pedophiles congregating in one area. There were 78 known child molesters in my neighborhood that I had no clue about, you know, because it was nothing was said. It wasn't on the news. It wasn't internet. Now I get an email of, of all the child molesters around and I show my grandkids that, you right. know, you steer clear of this. 78 sex offenders concentrated in one small area that contained a child's park, a ball field, a school. It must have been like shooting fish in a barrel. These kids were left completely vulnerable. Today's laws are trying to catch up with yesterday's mistakes, and Florida law now restricts sex offenders from living anywhere within a thousand feet of parks and schools and other child-friendly places. But it's too little too late for Christy Luna. Residents of Green Acres had no idea they were surrounded by so many pedophiles, and no one could predict what was about to happen on Memorial Day weekend in 1984. Saturday, May 26, 1984. Jenny Johnson wanted to do something fun with her two daughters. Christy and her sister Allie had been dreaming of a trip to Disney World, but the young mother just simply couldn't afford it. Instead, she planned a day trip to Dubois Beach in Jupiter, Florida. They spent the day at the shore having fun like every other family before finally packing it up and heading home late that night. And we had came home, I had driven most of the night, and, and Allie and I were both away. Christy slept most of the time. And so when we get home, we unpack. Allie walked in immediately with a sleeping bag on the living room floor, went to sleep. And I, I came in, I got, I took Christy over to Wendy's to get her a little Happy Meal. And then I put on Yellow Submarine, that uh, the Beatles cartoon, uh-huh. you know, for her and I was going to lay down and take a nap. Jenny and Allie fell asleep, but Christy didn't feel like napping. Realizing her two cats were hungry, the eight-year-old dug up some spare change and set off by herself to the local store around the corner. Witnesses saw Christy buying the pet food, but no one can confirm what happened next. Allie wakes up at five. She says, Mom, Christy's not here. I'm like, what? Because that one like her. You know, she wasn't, it was about to get dark. And, and that's when the search began. I didn't even have a telephone at the time. I went to the store and started calling everyone I knew. 
and then riding around like Jennifer Samson went to their house because Christy may have walked there because they lived you know, a few blocks away. I just remember we all ran to the door because it was like, what's happening? Why is somebody banging on our door? And we open it up and it's Jenny and Larry saying that Christy never came home. And I immediately felt terror. Like, where is she? What's happening? Oh my God. When you see all the adults in your mind, you're asking them to, to gauge how you should feel. And their terror, their frantic, they weren't, you know, filtering anything, I don't think. I mean, maybe they were, I don't know. My, my perception was it was just unfiltered, raw. The trauma from that door knocking on has never really left me. I got to talk with Brenda Parishi. So I remember Jennifer Sampson and her mom and her aunt coming to my house at night, crying and being very upset, saying Christy was gone, that she's just gone. They can't find her. They don't know where she is. And it just seemed so surreal, almost like it wasn't really happening. And it was almost like a dream. It was just really bizarre. Christy was the face of Green Acres. She was ours. She was something that represented all of us. Nobody had seen her. So then I called the police. They came out, took a picture, you know, a picture of her. They didn't start searching immediately, thinking she was a runaway. She never even spent the night away from home. I'm, I'm still walking the neighborhood with her picture. The people that own the store said, yes, yeah, she was there. She bought cat food. And so the next day, I'm putting posters out. The church down the street helped me. I was on the news, calling the news before the police even came out, the detectives. I mean, the police came out, took the report, but nothing was done. Marjorie Christy Luna was last seen walking from her Green Acres neighborhood to a store to buy cat food just two blocks from her house. We have exclusive Chopper 5 video from today. And then it started raining and it didn't stop for 10 days. When they finally brought the police dogs in a week later, the, the water was up to your knees. They've waited too long. They really couldn't get the scent by then with just so many different things that messed it all up. Never in my wildest dream would I ever think one of my girls would be, would be kidnapped. I'm Detective Wade Springer with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. I was one of the original investigating detectives from the Sheriff's Office when Christy went missing back in 1984. Green Acres had their own police department, and it was right after Adam Walsh was taken and John Walsh had gone to Congress and everybody to try to get more proactive assistance when children went missing. So back then, Green Acres and the FBI originally started the investigation, and I worked for the sheriff's office, and we became involved probably about a week after she went missing. All the little kids used to go to the store. It was less than a three-minute walk from the house. You could almost see the store from the house, and it wasn't unusual for kids to go out and play outside their houses, go to the neighbors' houses where their friends lived by themselves, and go to the store by themselves. They all came home. There wasn't a rash of missing kids or kidnapped kids or anything back then. 
Jenny definitely was not neglectful in allowing Christy to go to the store. I'd like to get that out so people don't think that, you know, she's responsible. She's not responsible. My kids went to the store back then. Don't look at the mother because she did nothing wrong. Right. There happened perpetrated by a very violent and nasty person who would do such a thing as to, to, to steal the innocent child off the street. You can beat this out, but there's definitely a special place in hell for whoever did this. Christy's disappearance changed everything. She could have been any one of us. We were all here. We all go to Belks. We were all in contact with the same people. They were all here, and we know that they were here. But it was her that day. After she went missing, it was more um, looking over your shoulder, really paying attention, um, hugging tighter, holding on a little longer, locking your door earlier in the evening time. Days turned to weeks, weeks to months, and months to years with no answers. Well, it's been a long, painful 29 years for this mother. Eight-year-old girl who disappeared more than 35 years ago. Christy was just eight years old. It was the last scene at this corner store. She's never been found. Her mother's life has never been the same. It's BC and, and AC. It's before Christy disappeared and after Christy disappeared. I can, I know every moment, days before and, and after. Please stop my suffering. You find my little girl. Detective Springer continues to look for new leads. This has always been a high-priority case, but the uh, main goal is to find Christy, and if at all possible, she could still be alive, and we don't know. We won't know until somebody who's got pertinent information comes forward. Please come forward and let me find my little girl. Either alive would be awesome, or to, to lay her to rest. I know somebody knows something. Somebody saw something. And come on, it's been 35 years. And I'm still in the same home. Never leave. You know, if she might come home. My, my, my dream is that she would come up, walk up to the front door, come home. You know, somebody wanted the little girl and took her and brainwashed her. Or, you know, still have her. That's my dream. Hoping for more leads in Christie's case, Jennifer Robb and Brenda Parishi started a Facebook page. Missing Marjorie Christina Christie Luna. That's the page. Her Facebook page for Christie. And right now it's a public group and we are just being as diligent as we possibly can to try and find answers for her and bring to justice anyone or anyone's plural who may have been involved with her abduction. We just hope and pray that someone's willing to be courageous and take the next step and come forward and realize that it's not just Christy's life that they're helping. It's her family's life. And not only that, but by coming forward and speaking up and telling what you know, you set yourself free as well. And we're not victims, we're survivors. And that's important to know. Go on Facebook page for Christy Luna and read all the facts on there. Look at all the pictures. Look at the picture of the cars. Look at the picture of the areas. And if you can remember something from back then, by all means, call. 
Brenda and Jennifer have been instrumental in starting this Facebook page, and they're very active. Uh, they had incidents that occurred to them in Green Acres that may be related, may not be related. But you need to read the, the Facebook page and look at the information that they put out there. More than three decades since Christie's disappearance. No body, no evidence, just a terrifying list of suspects. When you don't have a body, it's uh, pretty hard to come up with physical evidence to people to the crime. We have suspects. Can I mention their names on your show? I'd like to. I mean, we're looking at a guy, Willis and Chuck Rambo. They were very active in molesting one of Christie's good friends. They were arrested for it back in 1984. Willis Rambo is doing life in prison. He'll never get out. I mean, he continued molesting kids. I know uh, Chuck Rambo, his brother, he doesn't live in the area anymore. Victor Wynetti, he was a very good suspect. Uh, he's now deceased, but he lived in Green Acres, and he moved to uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, where another little girl went missing, and her body was never found. We looked at him for years. In the past couple years, since 2010, we come up with another guy who was a neighbor of uh, Jenny's, William Ferris, who's now doing life in prison in Virginia for town molestation. His wife used to babysit Christie's good friend. Christie used to play at that house. And he's just another one on the list. We just don't have anything concrete to charge him, Wine Eddie, or the Rambos as far as being the perpetrators of this crime. And of course, there could be somebody else out there that I'm not even aware of. So I'm open to new names, anything that anybody can tell me. I mean, I'm available and I follow up anything that comes in, no matter how small or tell me about a guy who all of a sudden, when Chrissy disappeared, shaved his beard, changed his car, moved. Something that really stood out when the guy changed his behavior at that time. And you know, he may not have done it. I mean, I'm not gonna go out and just accuse somebody, but uh, I'd like to get some other leads to follow up on and see what I can come up with. Main goal is to find Christy. I mean, it's definitely time. It's been since 1984. Jenny has suffered. If you put yourself in her place and you think about your child, I mean, the, the panic would go through you if your child was just gone, lost in the store for a couple minutes. Think about the panic that goes through you and how you'd feel. But, but she spent a lifetime wondering what happened. She lived with that panic every day, every night. She goes to bed not knowing where Christy's at. If you know where she is, and you don't want to tell us who did it, well, well, I'll settle for where she's at. And it's been many, many years, and it's definitely time to bring Christy home. You know, after so many years, you're thinking, she's gone, she's an angel. She's watching over children from above. I mean, I feel her presence with me. I, I just so need to know. And I wonder, will I know in my lifetime? Because as I age, I'm almost 65 now. I wasn't, I wasn't even 30 years old when it happened. And the older I get, the harder it is. I'm not as tough as I used to be. The not knowing drives you completely crazy. Do I lay in bed at night? 35 years of nightmares and 
and not knowing where my little baby girl is. And, and to me, she's still eight years old. I, I don't, I don't understand how something so evil could take something so sweet and good. There's a famous quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Suddenly she realized that what she was regretting was not the lost past, but the lost future. Not what had not been, but what would never be. It takes just one tip, one person to come forward to help investigators bring Christy home. It's been 35 years since Christy Luna's disappearance. And what her friends and family are going through is um, with just, you know, as we've seen in other cases, having no closure, not being able to say goodbye. And it's so important to be able to say goodbye. And I think one thing that Lori and I realized in talking to her friends, they're now moms. They're now community leaders. They're they're involved. They are, um, they have careers. And it makes you wonder where Christy would be, what we missed out on by somebody taking her away. Especially after hearing about her personality. She was very smart, very clever. Right. And she wasn't just somebody who, you know, you would have not known was there. You know, so often you wonder one person changes a generation. So, you know, we we can see how people affect the next generation. But what happens when there's a hole, you know, that's been affected? Or how does that whole affect us? We will never know. And I think that's really what we learned from meeting her friends and her family. And they still want answers even after 35 years. And I don't really think they're ever gonna stop as long as they all have breath in them. And I know her friends and family miss her so much, but it also angers me to think about how they were left to just be so vulnerable and that they were this ring and this circle of pedophiles that lived in this small area. That they had no idea. I think that's why these girls really relate. And I think Brenda even says it, you know, it could have been any one of them. Chrissy just happened to be the one he could get alone and take her and do whatever. It could, I think they all feel like it could have been me in that bathroom if I didn't bring a friend in with me. I really feel like they all know just one little different circumstance, it would be them. It's heartbreaking. Obviously, any child that's missing, it's heartbreaking. Let's talk about our list of suspects. And at the top of that list, um, let's kick it off with the Rambo brothers. That is a bad duo. That's what it sounds like. And that was Chuck and Willis. And um, Willis currently right now is serving life in prison for molesting his stepdaughters. And they lived, and when you and I went there, I think that, you know, and sometimes when we heard about these suspects, you wonder how close they live. When I tell you, they were part of the community. They were right there. They were close to all these kids. Now, the Rambo brothers lived near Christie's home, and Christie had visited their house several times. And actually, after Christie's disappearance, um, they both got arrested and served some time for um, a sexual assault on one of her six-year-old very close friends that lived right in the neighborhood as well. So they had that, and then Willis Rambo also got arrested afterwards after he served time with that for molesting his stepdaughters, and he's actually serving life in prison, so he's not getting out. Thank God. Mm, Yes. So, And then the other brother, Chuck, he has moved out of state. But together, they bubbled to the surface, and Christy wasn't kept away from them. She actually had numerous times had been in their house, had been around them, 
And again, the fact that one of her very good friends came forward and, and said that she had been molested um, and it wasn't just one time. One thing some people feel like, and that's why Brenda and Jennifer started the Facebook page, because people were feared them back then. And now that people have moved away and grown up, you know, so if you have grown up in Green Acres, know somebody who did, visit that Facebook page. There's pictures, people are identifying, people are coming out and talking about it. And what's coming up that these brothers were really, you know, running a little wild. And because people feared them, now Detective Springer wants people to know there's no reason to fear it. Willis is in prison for life. He's never getting out. And he's in prison for life for um, molesting his stepdaughters. So these are ba- these are bad guys. Mm-hmm. Now, the other brother has since moved to Tennessee, so they're not around anymore. They're at the top of the list. Then there's also Victor Wynetti, um, who he was also a suspect. Uh, yeah, he was another. Ugh. First of all, he just got out of jail the year before in 1983, July of 1983, for molesting a stepdaughter. So he just got released from jail. He's already been in jail for an offense. Christy goes missing. He knew her. They, you know, they've all, she's been to their house as well. But also when he, when this happens, he goes to New Hampshire and poof, six months later, another girl is missing and her body's never been found. So Christy goes missing. Victor Wynetti, who, by the way, the police say, like, he was kind of the one that the police are like, this is one bad dude. He drove a blue car. Remember the girls talking about us, about that blue car that was always lurking around the park? Well, guess who mm-hmm. drove a blue car? Victor Wynetti. And so Christy goes missing. Victor Wynetti picks up and moves to New Hampshire. Another eight-year-old girl goes missing and uh, once again, guess who pops up on the suspect list? Victor Wynette. And they have confirmed that he knew this young lady because there was actually a picture of her found in his residence. So he had a picture of her. He knew her. It was also the same circumstances. She was walking down the street to go to the store all by herself. And her body was never found. It's really, it's just so sad. But I think that... um. But we'll never know the answer exactly. to that. And the reason why we'll never know the answer, again, we covered it. Um, we told you guys about this, but... Victor Wynetti passed away in in prison. You know, there's some justice to that. Um, However, and regardless of whether he did this to Christy, um, there's plenty of people that were celebrating the day that that he left this earth. The sad part of that is that if it was him, we'll never know the answers. And and more importantly, Christy's mom um, and family and friends will never know the answers. Final one was one that Detective Springer talked about was William Ferris, who's now doing life in prison in Virginia for child molestations. Now, his wife used to actually babysit Christy's good friend, and Christy used to play at that house as well. So Christy had run-ins with this man as well. So altogether, here's what we're hoping for, obviously. We want to go through this suspect list with you guys. And even though people have passed, guess what? A lot of times people don't keep secrets. They told somebody something. Somebody saw something. They told somebody something. They know something. There is more information. And what we're begging you guys for is if you do know that, even if you've heard it, um, it, it or it's secondhand, um, please come forward. Or please if any pre- of these names sound familiar and you're not in Florida, maybe you're in Tennessee or some other state. These men have traveled to other states and they may have another trail of deception that we don't know about. Absolutely. So we hope that you guys will come forward. And now for the update in Christie's case. Authorities say they received a credible tip about the possible location of Luna's remains after the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office produced a documentary about the case and released it on the anniversary of her disappearance. 
A week's worth of digging to solve a 35-year-old cold case. Tonight, one phase of the search for answers in the Christie Luna case is now over. The dig turned up several bones, but it may not provide immediate answers. WPTV News Channel 5's Andrew Lofholm in Green Acres with where the case goes from here. Andrew? It's been a week of digging in this Green Acres backyard where they found bones. Some large bones they know are animal, others they're not quite sure, but don't expect them to be human. All the bones collected now head to Fort Myers, where they'll be tested at a Florida Gulf Coast University lab. The digging started following a tip generated by a documentary that came out over Memorial Day weekend to mark 35 years since she disappeared. Detective William Springer, one of the original investigators. Today, he's still on the case. I've worked this case since 1984. I've gone through a lot of good suspects and come up with nothing. Uh, this one, I don't build my hopes on it. I like it. I think it's a good lead. I'm going to follow through with it. If it pans out to be nothing, then it pans out to be nothing. Now, the sheriff's office says there's still a lot more work to be done. Live in Green Acres, Angela. Even though Christy wasn't found, family and friends still remain hopeful that more people will be coming forward with information. And Crime Stoppers is now offering a $15,000 reward for more information regarding the case. Anyone with information on this case can call Detective Springer directly at 561-688-4013. If you'd like to remain anonymous and you have information, you can call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-226-TIPS. Tips can also be submitted anonymously through the Sheriff's Office See Something smartphone app. And as always, thank you for joining us in Dealing Justice. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Healing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubisak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE Special Agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victims' stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends to subscribe. And join us next week on Dealing Justice.